Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are your hosts... Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlis, and maybe somebody else. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 30 for February 25th, 2008. I'm uh, Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. And you know what? If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, some feedback from something you heard before, something you hear from today, or just, you know, just whatever, just drop us a line at <laughs> woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you could pick up your phone and leave us an actual voicemail message, which a lot of you really like to do. And we love to get those voicemails. So call us at 623 242 2450. And when those come in, we'll make sure that we, uh, well, we won't make too much fun of you. We'll put them up there. Actually, it's better you do the voicemails because then I can't really mess up your names and stuff like that. <laughs> so anyways, what's going on, Mark? Man, we actually had a very productive week. And if the listeners haven't noticed, we're actually back like almost on time. Yeah, I would I say think- even even seven days. Uh, that That's pretty impressive for us. Yeah, I'm I'm still in in shock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't get over it. We're both waiting for something dramatic to uh, to happen to knock out the connection or something to stop us from being able to do this on time. Uh, but, I've got so many things crossed right now; it hurts. So, <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's uncross them and uh, and 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 uh, just dive right into this stuff. We got okay. a good amount of emails and voicemails and everything that the whole nine yards. So, um, you know what's been exciting me lately is my Lee Valley catalog. Tell me about it. I've I've got so many things dog-eared and ripped out and circled. And <laughs> I mean, this this thing is fantastic. If you don't know what we're talking about, um, Lee Valley puts out. Well, they have their little circular that kind of goes around, you know, a few times a year. But this this is specifically just for fine woodworking tools, 2008. So if you do not have this catalog, get on their website, get your butt up there, and make sure you get it because it's awesome. Oh, it's amazing. That thing is just like the ultimate wish book. I mean, is, that's just oh, I if, mean, if I could have an open check, you know, just there would be so much stuff. Lee Valley <laughs> would be sending me Christmas cards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one one of the things that, that caught my eye immediately, um, especially since I'm doing a lot of curved work and I use a French curve a lot and uh, have to try and get, you know, symmetrical curves, asymmetrical curves. They have these drawing bows. They have one that's symmetrical and one that's asymmetrical. They're about 25 bucks. Uh, the symmetrical one is 24, actually. Uh, it's basically a flexible band that's connected to... Uh, both ends are connected with a, uh, a elastic sort of uh, band that allows you to, to tighten and loosen it to get the curve that you want. Awesome. I mean, it's it's so much better than getting a strip of wood and connecting a brick to each end and trying to <laughs> position it over your work. And I'm never never quite confident that that piece of wood is bending symmetrically across its its length because it's wood you know there may be something that's harder in one area or more dense in one area uh, that you don't get a perfect uh, bend but this is all consistent you know seems like it's a plastic material uh that that is going to bend consistently across its surface so very, i'm really excited about that and 24 bucks nice. what the heck you know 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I had seen in there that I thought was pretty neat for those people that are still using like paper and pencil kind of a thing to draw out your pictures. God forbid. We, yeah, you know, I, just, I can't even imagine picking one up anymore. If they can't <laughs> type it, forget about it. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people have asked us about like the golden ratio and, you know, the uh, one to 1.6 ratio kind of a thing whenever yeah. we design our pieces. And I know for a fact they actually have a ruler that pretty much does it for you. It has like the regular kind of size on one side. And then you're like, what would be the golden ratio for this dimension? Oh, and then you move it down and it actually has it, you know, incorporated on the opposite end. So it kind of helps to make it a little bit easier for you to properly use the golden ratio whenever you're designing your projects. Cool. Of course, there are a ton of other things in that catalog that um, I can't even begin right now. We could waste two shows just talking about <laughs> things that I want. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great catalog. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, good toilet reading if you got nothing else to do in there. And uh, don't be ashamed of your toilet reading people because uh, you, get, you you can get a lot of productive work done there. That's right. Just wait for your feet to um, come back alive again so before you stand up. You'll <laughs> bash your head on this thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the only person whose feet fall asleep when I'm no, – okay, never mind. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll way, leave that one. Way too much information for people to <laughs> to digest here. Um, you know uh, – Talking about bathrooms, though, we can kind of segue in with sharpening uh, because I was just thinking about bald patches. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, Kaleo's uh, little uh, podcast he has going on. Well, wait a second. You know, he's- run, run back here. How did you segue from feet falling asleep in the bathroom to bald patches and sharpening? You don't see the connection. I'm not. I'm not seeing it, man. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> bathroom uh, bald patches. I was thinking of shaving, sharpening, oh, maybe. Okay. And see it all in my brain. It, it connected. <laughs> I just. Did, I didn't. I didn't go directly there. I, I went around. But um. Oh my god! But, I just realized I'm, I'm becoming my mother. She's one of those people that will start talking in the middle of the sentence. As if like, you were already having a conversation. <laughs> oh, how many phone calls I get that start out that way, and it's just like one of those. Holy crap! So then I try to back you know, pedal a little bit and figure out what she's talking about. There you go. Okay. So anyways, so oh, you go ahead. Yeah. experience that. <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page, but go on. <laughs> okay. All right. So anyways, on Kaleo's show, and he was talking on This Week in Wood, he was been doing, you know, well, this is a couple of weeks ago, but he was talking about his adventures with sharpening now that he's teaching the sharpening class mm. before he's coming back up here to the States. Okay. And he was talking about um, bald patches, how he was showing how with the blade sharp enough, you could kind of remove the hair off your skin. So I'm thinking... I'm not a competitive guy, but there was a part of me that's like, I can, I can do that. I know I can do that using my sharpening system. Yeah. And I know for a fact that my blades on my planes are that sharp right now. So I went down in the shop and turns out they're not that sharp right now. <laughs> and, and I've got uh, uh, blood trails to prove it. <laughs> so you're, you're down there scraping and scraping because you're determined to get hair off of your arm with a dull blade. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. It was, it was pretty pretty ugly so that's when i decided it was time to maybe resharpen one of one or two of them and i did get them sharp enough that now um i actually have regular bald patches and then i got the bloody bald patches <laughs> <laughs> nice just to compliment the other ones yeah the, the key right. here is you don't the end goal is not getting hair off your arm <laughs> it's it's getting hair off your arm as easily as a razor blade they just kind of boop 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 just kind of pop off as you go <laughs> but I really wish you would have been very more clear about that in the episode. I, I just thought it was just to remove it in any manner whatsoever. <laughs> oh man, the visual on that is just hilarious. But yeah, I, I typically get the I get the ones on the back of my hand, and um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be hairy, and uh, that means the back of my hands actually have some hair there. So I usually just uh, clean those up a little bit and, and make myself look a little bit less like an ape. 
And, uh, you know, it, it works out nice. The ladies like it, and I get sharp chisels, too. There you go. Yeah, that's I have to wear, <laughs> like, long sleeve shirts for a while. And luckily, I pretty much work by myself. So it's just like one of those, just please don't start re-bleeding. <laughs> but, you know, that really got me to thinking quite a bit about, you know, he was talking about the sharpening techniques. And I think he said that they use a Tormex system. Okay. Uh, and that's one thing is I know a lot of people really like using like the slow grinders and stuff like that. I still am actually I haven't moved up to anything like that uh-huh. like with, with the slow grinder system. I'm still very partial to my my water stones. In fact, I've received a few emails from quite a few people actually that are talking about it. And again, this is kind of in the past couple of weeks I've been receiving these emails. Maybe they also had heard Kaleo's episode and sure. kind of got them thinking about it. But yeah, and then there's like the scary sharp method. I know a lot of people like getting started with their um, you know, sharpening uh, experience by using the scary sharp system. Sure. You know, and that's, are, are you, do you use the Tormac? Do you have it or have you experienced it? Yeah, or, I, I used sure? to, I used to have the Tormac and then I wound up getting the jet and essentially it's, you know, the same thing. I think the jet has a few more bells and whistles and a little bit more reasonably priced. And I haven't even checked into that in a while. So who knows what's happened with the pricing, but same thing really. Um, but there, I, I like that system. Um, <clears throat> I've tried everything. I mean, the bottom line is barrier to entry. You know, the scary sharp system is great because all you need to do is go to the automotive store, pick up some you know, sheets of, uh, you know, automotive sandpaper and the high grit sandpaper and you're off to the races. Um, you know, the other things can be pretty damn expensive, you know, Tormek and, uh, and jet systems are not cheap. So, it's quite an investment just to, to end up with sharp chisels, but if it is in the budget and you could afford to do it, I always recommend that. I think it's a great way. Uh, I don't think it's the only solution, though. A lot of times I, I actually use my Waterstone still um, to to do some of the fine-tuning, to do a little touch-up work. I consider, you know, because it is a stone, I consider that for, um, you know, establishing an initial bevel or fixing, mm-hmm. you know, a chisel that's got a little chip in it or uh, that's been really treated rough. I reestablish the bevel using that. Um, I also use the leather side of it uh, with the polishing compound, and that's okay. the, that's the final work that I do on my my knock around chisels, as I call them, my marples, the ones that really get beat up. They're purely sharpened on the Tormac. I, I never really take them to the stones. I just don't need that much um, that level of of sharpness for that particular set of chisels. My Japanese chisels, on the other hand, if I reestablish the bevel on a Tormek, I immediately then go to my stones and bring them up and progress them through the grits uh, to hone them as good as I possibly can. So, right, okay, yeah, yeah it's a definitely. great system. Yeah, that 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 whole thing with the, the scary sharp system, I've always recommended that you know as as the beginner, just to get your feet your feet wet basically with it. Yeah, and then that's one that one's really funny because I'll always get the. Uh, well, if it works so good and it co- it's so inexpensive, why would you go to the other ones? And it's like, well, you'll find eventually. I'm not going to tell you why right now because I don't want to go into it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one of those. I think there are limitations with the sh- scary sharp method because obviously the sandpaper is going to wear out, you know, in, yeah. in a quicker time period than the other ones. And the one thing I've always run into, I don't know about you, but apparently I'm really bad with hand pressure. I always ended up ripping the paper at sure. some point. Sure. And then that's just a nightmare having to rip that off and then scrape the, uh, the you know the plate clean and yeah. then starting all over again. Well, here's the other thing. I mean, it's 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 a little bit I actually find it to be a little bit messier, you know, cuz it's either dry and then you wind up having um, you know, fine metal dust all over the place or you wet things down. Uh, and then you've got, you don't really have a trough for the, the, you know, the cast off liquid to go or anything. So, um, the, the automated, you know, or automated, uh, sharpening systems are kind of nice because they take care of that for you. Everything goes into the, 
the uh, the little bowl of water in there, and it tends to control the dust a little bit. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm working with metal and I create metal dust, it I, there's something about it. My eye starts itching, and and you, you, I just don't like that feeling and the smell and all that stuff. So I really do mm. like wet systems because it just keeps that crap out of the air and out of my lungs and out of my eyeball which lately i've <laughs> i wound up getting a lot in there huh uh, well no it's it's weird i don't even know that that's the cause but i did a little bit of um filing of these little metal dowels that i was using and it's not that anything went in my eye specifically i had eye protection on um but while i was doing it my eye started to itch and i think i may have instinctively uh rubbed my eye while i had that gray you know metal dust on my my a shirt or something and oh. i and i've been my eyeball has been itching for like three days now oh boy and oh yeah and it's not hurting it's just itching you know so i had yeah. some kind of a reaction to it driving me crazy but anyway um oh, long interesting. long way around to tell <laughs> to tell people i don't like metal dust um, but yeah and the other <laughs> thing is go- you know you got your yeah. jet and tormac you can sharpen i mean you won't believe how how thrilled my my mom was when i told her that i could you know relatively uh accurately and, and with good quality sharpen her kitchen knives oh yeah no no I, I can see that because my wife comes to me all the time with can you sharpen these uh no i mean <laughs> uh, uh, no no i'll try that later does it fit in my jig <laughs> then i can't sharpen it exactly <laughs> does lee valley make one can you look in the catalog for me real quick <laughs> <laughs> that's an excuse to buy something new right uh, right. but, but yeah, I think those systems are good. And and like I said, they're not a complete answer, you know, and especially if you're a turner, they can, uh, they can sharpen a lot of turning tools very well. The problem is it takes a long time. So, uh, as a turner, you may want to look into something, you know, more of a, you know, maybe like the, the Wolverine or, uh, Vera grind, uh, jig. Is it the Wolverine? Am I getting uh, my... You said Wolverine and immediately, immediately I went to X-Men. I don't know why. Just... <laughs> I think it is the Wolverine G. Um, I, I don't know why it's escaping me. I'm, I might just be getting my my clawed animals mixed up. But anywho, um, yeah, so that one's a little bit faster and, and kind of gets you to back on the lathe a lot faster. So, uh, okay. but, yeah, lots of options. Sharpening is just one of those things. There's a hundred ways you can go about it. But as long as you as long as you can shave with it, you're doing it right. Yeah, well, the other thing I used to do with my big test was uh, paper. Like, if I could, you know, like rip paper really finely, like you know, kind of just yeah. down the edge and stuff. Right. And the first time I actually discovered I could do that, I ran up and I'm like, "Look at this!" And I grabbed a piece of paper off the table that my wife and my daughter <laughs> were kind of doing her homework at, and it turned out it was a major piece of homework, and I Oops. cut it in half. <laughs> yeah, eh, a little, so, nothing. A little tape won't hurt. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, they'll love it. It beats the hell out of the dog ate the homework, you know, excuse. So it was <laughs> until anyway, until they use that excuse more than once, and the teacher's like. Dad cut it with the chisel again. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, that's. I come in for the the, the parent teacher conference, and they're like, "We have a story that she's been telling us." No, that that actually happened. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, speaking of tabletops, I was just thinking last week. Did anybody else notice that Mark was going to talk about his tabletop dilemma, <laughs> and then kind of forgot? <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of went by the wayside. Yeah, I, I did forget to bring it up, and no reason we can't talk about it now. Um, okay, do you remember it? <laughs> I think I do. I I can remember the Angela that I was experiencing at the time. Um, you know, I think anybody who's watched the show knows that I, I sort of threw out there uh, the question of, of what people thought I might want to, you know, that I might do with this table that I was working on, because uh, it's a little bit different. It's not your typical table, and, and the design options are, I mean, you could do anything you want, and that's really the dilemma there. So I, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I threw it out there to everybody because I wanted to hear, not just to hear their opinions, but I wanted it to be an opportunity for everyone to experience what it's like to have that design option and, and decide how, you know, what kind of creative solution can you come up with this? 
So mm-hmm. I got a lot of responses, and I mean, we had over 60 comments on that particular thread, and, and I had another 25 or 30 emails telling me you should do this or uh, you know, giving me their opinion. And it was, as I started to get all these, I realized the pressure was building up because I, I just realized just how many people are watching me. And, oh no! <laughs> you know, and it's and it's something that I I just I get I'm sure you get used to it too. That you'd start to take these numbers for granted, and we've you know we've got thousands of of subscribers uh, to our videos between the, I mean between the two different feeds. You know, we're we're approaching ten thousand subscribers. That number becomes meaningless after a while. You know, because it's it's you just get used to seeing it there. You you communicate with people the same way you always communicate with people. And then all of a sudden, when now you are making something and you solicited opinions and they're giving them to you, and now it's like, oh my God, you know, what if I just completely jack this thing up? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's it's very possible, and that's all part of designing on the fly in the first place. It's very possible that you could completely screw this up. And, and mm-hmm. what are you going to do now that the camera is on? So um, last week I was feeling the pressure a little bit and, and finally got to a point that I had got the top to look the way that I wanted it to look and was very happy with it. So I was just going to kind of talk a little bit about that sort of design dilemma and how it fe- <laughs> how it feels <laughs> to know that all these eyeballs are watching you and expecting to see something when it's all said and done. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when, you, when you've built furniture in the past, have you ever gotten yourself in a situation or even planned for a situation where you knew you were going to have to, to sort of either think outside the box or, or have a creative solution to a problem, you know I mean? Right. Or, or do you usually have a, a set plan from the very beginning? No, I, I, I've run into that so many times. I, I always start out with a, a set plan or at least a, a basic, basic idea. Sure. I like to think it's a basic idea. <laughs> My, <laughs> My basic idea isn't necessarily, uh, you know, an idea at all sometimes, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I have gotten to that where I, I, I will actually go so far and then it's just like one of those, I don't know where else to go from here. I got to sit back and actually set this aside and yeah, maybe even solicit other ideas mm-hmm. in order to move forward. And it's funny how sometimes the direction that you actually move forward in is the opposite direction of what you originally you know, even thought you might head into if that, yeah. if that makes any sense. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it can be a challenge and it's something that I like to uh, encourage people to do. I mean, I've, I even got one email where someone was questioning my method of designing on the fly, not so much designing on the fly per se, but using the final material, using good walnut to do it. And uh, I, I sort of gave the, the person, you know, I, I really had to think about it for a while. I thought it was a very good question to ask. And I think for me, it's kind of the the no guts, no glory, um, you know, sort of concept uh, where, where, you know what, no, I'm going to use a bunch of uh, phrases here. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, okay. No, yep. bo- no balls, no babies. <laughs> you <know>? Okay. <laughs> I have uh, never heard that one, but that's good. I'm going to put that on a shirt. If, uh, <laughs> you know, to me, it's, it's, it's exciting, you know, and I, and I don't, I mean, walnut is not a cheap wood, but it's certainly not, you know, expensive figured, um, you know, exotic uh, types of, of, of material and things that would really cost, you know, 15, 16, $18 a board foot. So I, I had this walnut sitting around and I figured what, what the hell? I mean, anytime I have designed on the fly and if I'm not completely happy with it or my design on the fly actually is really just creating a prototype. Um, I've never really regretted it because that piece of furniture is usually acceptable. You know, at the very least it is something that I can give to a family member who will absolutely love it. 
uh, yep. even though I may make it two inches taller next time or make it make the curve go this way next time or or I slipped with the router and I, I you know, screwed up my mortise and had to fix it. Uh, they don't care. You know, it's it's not going to be that big of a deal. So at the very least, I've got a piece of furniture now that I can give to somebody and, and, and it looks decent. It's not made out of uh, pine or poplar or some, un, you know, some material that's not exactly uh, conducive to the look of the piece. So, you know, that that's kind of my thought behind it. And I think by designing on the fly, when, when it's all said and done, even if you don't do it all the time, I think it makes you a better woodworker. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's like playing music. If you play by notes all the time and you're, you just read notes, that's all you ever do. What are you going to do when you have to sit down with, you know, four other musicians and somebody just starts playing a song? You know, what happens to your improv skills? You know, if, if you don't just sit down and I'm thinking in terms of a drummer because that that's what I am. But um, that was one of the most important things I've learned as a musician was to be able to sit down and just play. It doesn't matter. You listen to what what's being played and you play something that's complementary to it um, makes you a better musician as far as I'm concerned. And the same thing for woodworking. So I think you need to, to roll with the punches. Uh, if you come up to a point where there's a challenge, that's an opportunity for a design change and, and to, to something that you may not have thought of if you had this dead set in stone sort of plan from beginning to end. So I, I really yep. like it. I think it's a great way to build. I, I have to agree. I mean, my house is filled with what I jokingly call my prototypes. And then people are like, you know, can I get something similar to that? Absolutely. And now that I have the prototype, and I always tell my, I always tell Samantha, I'm like, you know, I am so sorry because the stuff I'm building you is my prototype. So it's going to have everything wrong with it. I guarantee <laughs> right. you. There's, you know, and, and, I, and the next one I build is going to be so much better because I'll know what not to do or what materials not to use and stuff like that. Right. And, you know, it, really the idea of kind of just jumping in, you know, feet first like that is really just kind of that. That's one of those, you know, we've talked about it before. Sometimes you really just have to test yourself, yeah. you know, as a woodworker to move forward. Right. And I know I've had things that I've done with, with certain things, you know, with certain species or something that, you know, I like I had some tiger maple and I was I know for a fact that I was so nervous to use it. And I remember thinking, well, this this is the first time I've built anything like this. Yeah. But I've just got to jump into it because if I don't, I'm never going to really know if I can actually do it. So yeah. it's yeah. a matter of breaking down those barriers, not. I mean, we look at this stuff all the time, and it's it's intimidating when you see these gorgeous designed pieces. And, I mean, you look at some of Kaleo's stuff that he's made, and you can tell that there's some really uh, significant thought put into the designs that he's created to, to make them look the way that they look. And to the average person, that might be very intimidating, you know, to, mm-hmm. to excuse my dog barking if you can hear that. <laughs> Um, that can sometimes be intimidating, and I, and you know, my goal is to make people realize that there, it is possible to just kind of go with the flow. And if you've got a, a little bit of an idea, I mean, for instance, this table for me, and I've lots of tables I've built have started with a leg, and I, and I've, yeah. I've got this idea for curvature that I see in a leg that looks cool. Now let me build a table around a leg, and and that's how I entered the project. All the little details either came as as restrictions or. Uh, ways to get around a problem. Uh, for instance, this particular table has uh, the top is suspended um, in the middle of the structure with steel dowels that run into each leg. Now, had I known I was going to do that, I probably could have easily just drilled holes for those dowels before I put the piece together and assembled everything in one shot. So the table top was just there ready to go. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But I glued the base together first. Then I started to think about, okay, you know, am I just going to put that glass top on this? Or then I came up with the idea of suspending the uh, suspending the uh, board in the middle. 
well, now how do I get the dowels into these four insides of these legs and get everything to, to come together? It's impossible to just insert the dowels that way. So I had to, you know, route grooves straight through the top of each leg and then drop those dowels into it. And then I had to cover up the dowels. So mm-hmm. what someone may see in the final piece as a, a neat little feature that I've inlaid a strip of wood into the top of each leg, that is actually not an intended feature. That was a result of having to do something different. But I would have never really thought of doing that as a design feature if it wasn't for the fact that I, I had put myself, sort of painted myself into a corner. you know. Right. But, but the solution for getting out of the corner turned out to be a very cool creative thing that, like I said, I just... I, I guess I'm not I'm not original enough to think of it uh, until it's a problem, you know, and I got to figure right. out how to get out of it. Right, and actually, that's where some of our best innovations come from is trying to deal with problems. Yeah. So that's that that's a really great, you know. And this is actually something that I think a lot of people can do with, you know, perhaps you don't feel comfortable enough building your own pieces, you know, in designing your own piece or looking at something and like, okay, kind of. De- deconstructing it and putting it back together kind of a thing. Yeah. But if you've bought plans at a store, you know, there there's easy ways you can manipulate those plans and add changes to it and stuff. Just because it says on the plan that you do it exactly this way doesn't mean you have to do it exactly this way. You right. can change those things. Yeah. And it, it's that experimentation that will actually help you to learn to be able to design your own things. Sure. And if you don't like a particular feature or you see a piece of joinery that you go, you know what, that's a lot of work for something that really isn't that necessary. Maybe if I do this, and and by changing those little things, there are downstream things that are affected by that, that you either, you know, can either make or break you, you know, so you have to look at those downstream effects and decide how you're going to handle them and use them to your advantage. Right, absolutely, yeah, 100%. You know, before before we jump into uh, our few emails that we have here in the voicemails, I did want to talk about another thing is... Um, and I'd like to get people's feedback on this as well, especially if you're uh, participating in your local woodworking guilds and clubs. Uh, we have one here in Phoenix, and I've I've had a number of dealings with them over, over the years, just when I lived in San Diego and then uh, when we went to Oklahoma recently. And it never fails when I talk to these groups of people. They always, it seems like everybody has the same concern, and that's how to keep this alive, how to keep the membership interested and how to, how, uh, you know, because I hear even when they have people come out uh, on location and do a seminar and whatnot, a lot of times the turnout isn't so good. The membership doesn't want to pay 20 bucks to hear David Marks speak or, you know what I mean? And it, and it, it, it's amazing to me when, when you hear that because it, you start to realize that a lot of these clubs for people are just that kind of, I don't know, it reminds me of... Uh, what is it stand by me with the benevolent order of antelopes or whatever <laughs> yeah. they're called you know yeah, it, something like that <laughs> yeah it's just kind of a, a social club they enjoy the monthly thing and they enjoy talking about woodworking and uh, but they may not necessarily be looking to aggressively improve their skills you know which is why you would attend a intense seminar by an instructor on a weekend um you know and and i think that's a ongoing problem that i think we're going to have to face now do you think that uh you know, these woodworking clubs are sort of going to follow the same path that that I think a lot of like computer users groups are seeing where the newer generation, if they need to find information uh, from a group of people in a community, they're going to find it online. You know, they're going to look in a forum and they're going to get their answer and their camaraderie and all that stuff that they don't necessarily even think to look for a local solution to, to that sort of outlet that they need. And, and it just, you know, you know, I mean, do you see that being the future? 
Yo, actually, I, I do think I, I think that is actually kind of the way it is going, because it seems like the, the, the largest groups, I mean, in, in, that I've seen seem to be ones that actually have some sort of computer connection other than um, the, the local one here in, in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, actually. I've been meaning to actually get together with them, but it's like one of those, if you even want to contact them via email, and I might be completely wrong with this. I was just looking at the brochure they had at the the local lumber mill. Um, It's more or less one of those, you email them, then they kind of get back, you know, with you and everything. And it's almost like one of those, I don't think they even have a website or anything like that. And so I do think that the, the newer generation is more or less turning more to the internet and they're willing to to actually look at a group that's maybe cross country yeah. versus one that's actually right around them because that person cross country is actually easier to contact, get information from, interact with everything else than really having to wait for the monthly meeting. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Or, you know, whatever you have, contacting somebody and they're like, oh, well, I don't have it with me. Next meeting, I'll bring that information for you or I'll call you with it. Yeah. So I, I, I do kind of see it. I don't want to see it's like going the way of the dinosaur, but I'm thinking it needs to evolve away from the dinosaurs, what it really needs to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, and it just uh, hearing from some of these guys at the presidents and things that, that run the show, um, it, you know, they're, they're literally watching their membership die off. And I mean, and, and mm-hmm. that's not meant to be I'm not being a smart ass. I mean, a lot of these uh, the members are a little bit older. You know, and and they're not getting the replacements. You know, so if someone does pass away, there's not a new person taking their place. And if it is a new person, it's another person who's you know uh, who's retired. And um, you know, it, it's it just seems like they they need to figure out a way that if if that is going to stay alive, they need to figure out a way to get younger kids interested in it. And I think right. therein lies the problem. Let's say they do get involved. Let's say they talk to a local high school and they get some sort of. Uh, Things set up. If if they're fortunate enough to have a shop program, maybe there's a uh, opportunity for extra credit for these kids if they show up to a meeting or show up to a weekend seminar, so that these kids are actually, oh wow, look at this! You know, th- th- there's actually a place where we can go to learn some more about this stuff, and you know, and they're getting extra credit at the same time. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but it, but it raises the awareness that this is out there. Now, I know a lot of these people just again from experience and speaking to them would not exactly want a bunch of kids running around on, on their weekly or monthly meetings. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering, is that going to be an issue at the same time, even if they did start to get young blood uh, into these groups and organizations? So I'm not not even bringing this up because I've got an answer. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm curious if, if the folks, you know, who listen, who might be involved in these clubs have a solution or if they have a better uh, view of, of what's actually going on, um, but I can honestly say the people that I talk to on a daily basis and, and just friends that I've made through the Wood Whisperer and stuff like that, none of these guys are really in their local clubs. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that, I have a very similar experience with a number of people that I talk to. And that's yeah, I'm really kind of curious about this, too, because it would be a horrible thing to really see something like this go away. Because I know myself, you know, it really 
woodworkers are solitary creatures. We are a lot of times in our shops by ourselves, and it w- it is nice to interact with other people. And especially if there's somebody out there that knows, you know, a, a technique or something that I I don't. You can only go so far with books. You can only go so far with even some stuff like with what we're doing with our podcast and everything yeah. really there is there are certain things that having a mentor standing there right with you or demonstrating it you know can make a, a, a big difference yeah so definitely. and yeah. grouping together like that having an organized you know uh, club or group is, is really the only way to do that to afford to get the right people in to teach these things you know it's, it's very important yeah. i'm just um i don't know it's very right. it, it's interesting to watch because i think you and i and, and people people who are listening to our shows and, and people who are creating shows like our fellow, you know, podcasters, I think part of that, we are sort of in a way, the instruments of change with what's going on here, because if they're finding information elsewhere, if they're finding camaraderie and a social outlet elsewhere, because of the level of interaction that we have with our, our viewers and listeners, maybe that's part of the reason these things are going away. So as we're talking right. about it, maybe we're, we're, you know, uh, guilty parties ourselves, you know. My God, so we're like Homo sapien, and they're like you know Cro Magnon. <laughs> that could very <laughs> well be. <laughs> that could very well be it. I think we need to, we need to stop doing our shows. That's, that's uh, it. I think we have to do our part, Matt. And uh, I think it's time to time to go. No, 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 they're gone. See you guys later. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I'd be interested in hearing uh, some other perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, you want to run into some emails now. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We haven't done these in a long time. Yeah, wow. we'll, we'll get a few emails out here before we listen to our, our favorites, the voicemails. Man, we are so partial to voicemails. It's just wrong. Yeah, it is. It's really, really – that's why I'm trying to wet my whistle right now so that I can get through these emails without, <laughs> you know – so anyways, though, we got our first email here, which is actually from Marty, and this says, this may sound like a silly question. My wife has asked me to build her a simple chest with drawers for it – or for her. It will replace one we bought at a store, and it has seen better days. It will be housed in our master bath. I envision nothing more than a simple carcass with drawers on, on slides to hold all her hair and beauty products and her other beauty appliances such as hair curlers and hair dryers. Uh, my question concerns drawers. Is it best to size the carcass to fit the size and number of drawers I want or determine the size of the carcass and figure out how many drawers and what size will fit inside the carcass? Now, the area where the chest will fit is approximately 30 inches wide. To blend the chest in with the existing cabinetry, I plan on putting doors on the carcass to cover the drawers. Any help would be appreciated. Thanks in advance. And that is from Marty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're having a question about the actual you know, um, uh, the, the, the style itself, how he's going to do it. And I think this is a common thing. I think a lot of us run into is it's like one of those, you know, do, do I build for the details or do I build for the size? Yeah. You well, know, it's, it's a, which, which comes first kind of question, the chicken or the egg type thing, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I, I, I wrote back to Marty and I, I kind of mentioned to him, you know, that, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I always ask myself this question when I first get started and, you know, really, I think it always it seems to me that when I, I design for the components, the rest of the project doesn't always seem to go as well as I, I think it's going to. Yeah. So my advice on this particular project is to design for the for the carcass first. You know, one, once you have the overall dimensions, it's for, to me, at least, it seems like it's a lot easier to actually bring everything else together. And then once I do that, 
if I find that certain components aren't working, like, you know, in the size of the drawers, uh, et cetera, then it seems like it's a lot easier for me to make tweaks to that, the design of those particular components, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get it to fit in there, to make sure that it's, you know, the, the right ratios and everything else. Um, I know myself, I've started out projects where I'm like, All right, I'm gonna, I am going to build a chest of drawers. And I want this drawer to be this specific size and everything else. And then by the time I actually get the drawers the size I want it, then suddenly I go to build the carcass for the, you know, for the rest of the chest. And it's like one of those, what the hell is this thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks like the snowman, the abominable snowman of chest drawers. <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always, I mean, I totally agree there. I, I always see as a general rule, if there's a female and male uh, component that we're working with, I nearly always make the female first and fit the male to the female. So uh, mortise and tenon is a good example. Make the mortise first and then fit the tenon to the mortise. Same thing with this cabinet. I make the carcass first to whatever dimensions and size make the most sense. And then I fit my drawers to that carcass. So, yep. Yeah, especially in this situation where he's kind of tight. It just seems like one of those. I know myself. I would probably over overbuild the drawers. I would yeah. somehow inevitably make the drawers actually the thirty inches. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not fitting in. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyways, definitely a safer bet for a, for a fine fit. I would say. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Uh, next email is from uh, my good buddy Schwigs, my uh, barbecue buddy. Ooh, a barbecue. He's, he's my, got recipes. Yeah. He's oh, this guy's got some recipes. Let me tell you. Um, he says, I'm looking to upgrade some of my personal protection gear and wanted your opinion on what you use most in your shops. Currently, I have a decent pair of glasses, but they don't seal around the face terribly well, so I wouldn't mind getting something that keeps more out. For my ears, I just use little expandable foam earplugs, and I'm looking for something that has excuse me, more noise cancellations that I could use with the iPod. Uh, and finally, for my lungs, I've got a uh, simple drywall mask that I wear when doing really dusty operations. So I'd like to get a respirator as well. So finally, the question, which of these items do you guys use around the shop the most and where would you see the biggest gain? Uh, As for brands, I'll probably just go with uh, the Wood Whisperer store and get ideas from there. Well, that is much appreciated. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Get some good stuff out of there, so. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, for me, I guess we'll we'll just each run down what we use. Um, I use the uh, i what is it i three work tunes because I I also like to listen to uh, either the radio or my MP three player and it does noise cancellation and plugs directly in as opposed to putting your earbuds in your ear and then putting cups over top of that which tends to be very uncomfortable um, mm-hmm. so those are great kill two birds with one stone um, I also use the three M seven what is it the 700 something series uh again that's definitely in the wood whisperer store uh respirator and i use um for eye protection i just have a standard on fact i believe it was either costco or uh, sam's club one of them has this pack of like 20 uh, uh safety lenses like eye protection almost like you would see in a store they're on cardboard and you can kind of hang them up if you wanted to on a display um but it was like 20 bucks or something for 20 of them. So I was like, dude, I'm picking that up. I'm putting them all over the shop on every single tool so that they're always there when I need them and they fit the same and they're perfect. So, um, nice. yeah. And, and they're not, you know, they're not going to give me complete, um, ceiling around the eyeball. And I don't, I don't know, that gets a little bit uncomfortable after a while. Uh, but they do work for 99% of the tasks. Okay. So what yeah. do we usually, uh, use? Well, normally when it comes to the the ear protection, I'm I'm using the Zen protection, which obviously I can't get my earbuds in it. But 
most of the time when I'm working with tools where it's going to be making a lot of noise, I'm singing that little song to myself that I had mentioned last week, uh, the fingers and thumbs, don't be dumb, fingers <laughs> yeah. and thumbs. So that one's always going – and somehow inevitably I'm also arguing with myself over something. It's a strange situation. <laughs> so, so, But that, that, that's usually what I, I use. And the one thing I like about those, of course, we've talked about Zem in the past where it just kind of – it lowers the, the surrounding sound down to like a conversation level. It just lowers yeah. the decibel uh, uh, hiding them basically. Uh-huh. And the nice thing about that is that um, that way when somebody does come into my shop, they think they're sneaking up on me to somehow you know injure me. <laughs> no, but I can catch them you know. And and so they 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 get scared when I do that. Yeah, uh, but for really really noisy things, though, I do have some over the ear ones that I I do use, and um, I'm not sure what the name brand on that we wore. When we went to a monster truck rally, so they're they're pretty pretty deafening. Nice. Um, let's see the uh, I wear I have prescription uh, uh, safety glasses that I use, and I've got like the little side thingies, and so I've got to wear my glasses all the time. So I just put those on and totally look like my uh, middle school woodworking teacher, <laughs> short of having the blue uh, uh, lab coat. I'm, I'm, I'm him, <laughs> Mr. Golick. <laughs> nice. And let's see. Uh, as for the respirator, I have something similar to what you use. I heard, I think it's probably like one level down, but it's I, I something that I can definitely get on there, get a nice tight snug fit, and then that way in the dustiest situations, I know I'm. I'm pretty pretty protected on that one. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, for for dust mask too, you know, a lot of people still use the traditional paper dust mask, and maybe I'm a little paranoid about it, but man, I never feel like that works enough. You know, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, that, I'm sorry, but that little pinchy thing on the bridge of my nose, not not giving me a tight seal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I just don't have the confidence that that thing is working as good as it should be. And I guess I am, you know, like I said, on the paranoid side, but. Um, I, I've got my dust collection running and I still wear that stuff. I mean, people can look at the, the webcam at any time and see me with the big three on my face. I've got the respirator. I've got the eye protection on top of that. And then I got the big giant, you know, 70s style uh, headphones on my head. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, you do wind up looking like a, a jerk running around your shop with this stuff on. But it, it just feels good at the end of the day when you don't have, you know, wood dust in your nose that you're picking out and uh you know you you don't have that feeling like you've been breathing sawdust all day you just feel normal which is a nice comforting uh feeling so it's oh, worth of it of course if you're going someplace special and your wife's like uh if like me i have to put it on a little snug to get uh, a good seal around the beard so i've got like that raccoon face <laughs> right. you know around what the hell's going on with you nothing why what's wrong <laughs> yeah yeah you're missing you're, you have a line of air <laughs> where you don't have any blood in your skin anymore <laughs> yeah. um all right, uh, we can move on to what is that? Um, Greg's uh, question here. Greg in Tampa. Yeah. Okay. okay. We have Greg in Tampa who asks, "I have an antique bird's eye maple secretary desk. I recently found some termite damage. Now the damage is in a small piece, which is about one inch by twenty-four inch. Like I said, small, but twenty-four inches. I'm assuming in length. That's 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 pretty good size. Yeah. Anyways, this piece is attached by screws, and it can be it can be removed. I have killed the termites. I could easily make this piece, but prefer to keep it original." Do you know something I could inject into the voids to make this piece solid again? Uh, it would need to be something that goes in liquid and then turns solid. Got any suggestions? Uh, thanks, Greg, in Tampa. Now, hmm. if it has to go in liquid and remain solid, the, the only thing that's coming to my mind is, is basically like an epoxy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think if you could do – I know there's those wood hardeners, but there's like that little thing that you break and then you put it in and then it mixes up. But it, that's basically a paste anyways. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're not going to be able to penetrate very far with that. 
that would yeah it would be interesting if you could <laughs> yes it would um hands down epoxy seems like the best option it's going to fill it make it solid and uh you know you get a thin enough mixture you know five minute epoxy doesn't tend to run as well and then by the time it you know does start to run it's drying and curing already so um, usually the structural epoxy and a long uh, cure time epoxies, those tend to be a little bit more uh, liquidy, if you will, mm-hmm. and will will pour a little bit better. So um, I used, uh, what is it, West System that works really well. Uh, okay, yeah. And that stuff, that, that's really, that's a lot more uh, loose than standard five-minute epoxy is. I mean, five-minute epoxy in a lot of cases is very paste-like in and of itself, so... Um, I would use that to fill it up and then I would, I would keep it, <clears throat> excuse me, I would keep it from the surface a little bit, uh, keep a little divot there and then maybe use some sort of a filler, uh, that you can then, uh, get, you know, match the background color a little bit and then use colored pencils to recreate grain if you need to, uh, and cover up the hole. So it just looks completely hidden as best as you can. Right. Yeah. That sounds good. Absolutely. Right. Sweet. Cool. So you said we have some voicemails. We have Indeed. Voice doodly. Yes, we do. Oh, right. Uh, bring them all bring it all we got two of them uh i like this one and this will be uh, a good one for feedback so okay great and where's the play button oh there it is hey mark and matt uh scott from chicago here uh enjoying the shows um was wanting to know one thing um i was wondering if there was any books that dealt with the woodworker themselves. Um, I'm a professional photographer, and I know the books by uh, Edward Weston, Ansel Adams, and Henry Cartier-Bresson that do not talk about their techniques but talk about the person. I was wondering if there was any books that you guys know that talk about the woodworker, his experience, why he does it, kind of a life story sort of thing. Um, Like I said, enjoy the show, and uh, keep putting out those podcasts. Thanks. The answer would be no, because woodworkers are boring. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, I'm so shallow. I don't want to share my things. You know, you don't need to know what yeah. I know. Only wish you know what I know. But this this is a real good one because I know I am definitely not as well read in the world of woodworking books as as I could be, and certainly not as as well as some of our listeners are. Um, so this would be a great thing to get going in the comment thread uh, for this post is is suggestions for. Uh, some great biographically sort of influenced books. Um, I do have a couple recommendations uh, right off the bat, uh, books that I've read that are either biographical or semi-biographical. Um, okay. First and foremost, Workbenches. Um, Schwartz's book that just came out is has a biographical feel to it. Um, maybe not the entire thing, but he's not exactly just saying this is how you build it. He's telling a story, and, and you get a lot of background information on him personally. That makes it much more entertaining, and we've we've talked about that in the past. So um, I would definitely put that on the list. Uh, yep. Let's see. You know, go ahead. Uh, of course, we could always talk about perhaps one of the uh, big stars of woodworking, which of course is Norm Abram. He has his measure once, tw- no, measure twice, cut once. I was about to say measure once, <laughs> measure tw- once uh, cut, cut twice. <laughs> Sounds like That's what we be do, Matt. Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the so. story of, of Matt Vanderlist. <laughs> That's right. Measure once, I can't cut figure twice. out why everything kept coming out kind of odd shaped. It's very asymmetrical in all his furniture. <laughs> Measure once, cut twice, bitch about it. <laughs> That's right. Throw it in a scrap pile. Right. So, and, and I know that one. I think that pretty much starts out like how he even – his, of course, is mainly just a lot about carpentry and stuff. Okay. But it kind of gets him started and gets, gives you an idea of what where he got up and running. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I haven't actually read that. That sounds like something uh, to, to go get a cup of coffee at Barnes & Noble and sit down and read for a little bit. 
Yeah, I've, I've got it someplace around the house here. I'm sure it's holding up a table that I cut. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. There's a, another one that I'd recommend. Um, I may have recommended this on the show in the past by George Frank. is uh, called Adventures in Wood, Wood Finishing, I believe. Okay. And it's, again, semi-biographical. There's a lot of detail and, and finishing information, but a lot of it is telling stories of things that, that he's gone through or uh, situations that he's done on on the job site. So it's very... Uh, a lot more entertaining than your average instructional woodworking book. Um, you know, and the last one I'd recommend is, you know, there's probably a number of these and I haven't read all of it, but some of Krenov's books, uh, like okay. the, like one of the most popular ones is the impractical cabinet maker. It goes into a little bit more depth than you normally get again, where, where it's, you sort of understand a little bit more about the man himself, uh, as opposed to just his techniques. Um, even though it does very, you know, get very strongly focused in, in techniques and building styles and, uh, you know, the theory behind it. But he does focus a lot on his, just his personal feelings about how he feels projects should go and joinery and grain and things like that. So um, those are definitely, you know, none of our are purely biographical, but certainly more a hybrid of biographical and technical at the same time. Right. You know, one more that I have to throw out there, and I've been searching for this book. I, I know I can buy it online, and I don't know why. I just don't break down and do it. It's almost like one of those, like a hunt. I'm, I'm going to find this thing. <laughs> I'm on a safari for it. But it's uh, Jim Talpins. I think that's how you say it, T-O-L-P-I-N. Uh-huh. Uh, it, well, anyways, it's uh, a Woodworking Wit and Wisdom, yeah. 30 Years of Lessons from the Trade. And I've, I've read excerpts from this, and it cracks me up some of the stuff that he talks about. He's got a, you know, a real good uh, handle on like, bringing a little humor to things that a lot of people probably would be ripping their hair out on. Yeah. Um, and that, that's one of those that I, I've heard a lot of people talk about his books because I know he has several books out there. Yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah, I definitely. actually – I've got that one. Um, I looked at that when yeah. I, was, I was looking through the, the bookshelf trying to, to get – names for this one and I, I left it out only because it is very strongly focused on technique but at the same time you're right he does interject some funny uh anecdotes that that kind of give you an idea where this information is coming from um, okay yeah so I, I, it, that's it, i was wondering if that was because I, I actually saw in the description something about it had like you know a few projects or something like that there something like along the lines there yeah, so. yeah you, i mean you are going to learn something for sure that's not not as you know biographical but there it, it it is. It is exactly what it says. It's somewhat wisdom that somebody gained as he went through it, and some witty remarks as as you're going through. So it is. It is a funny book. Uh, a good okay. read. Good. Good recommendation, though. Definitely. Yeah, and in 15 years from now, 15, 20 years, you'll be able to purchase um, a microphone of wood, and that will be the Matt Vanderlis uh, and uh, <laughs> Mark Spagnolo <laughs> Co- co-authored biographical story of of talking wood online. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got one more voicemail here, and I think that might be it. So let's right. savor it, shall we? Bring it on. Hey, Mark and Matt. Great show, as always. Really appreciate all you guys do for the craft of woodworking. Hey, on a recent show I listened to, and I have to admit I'm not caught up, so you may have covered this already, but there's a question about router bits and the router bits for edge banding and the different diameter of router bits. I was expecting an answer that was, would be consistent with what you said previously, Mark. I was expecting you to say the larger the diameter, the slower the speed of the router, and which may be more appropriate for some materials than others. But you didn't say that. So now I'm wondering if maybe I misunderstand the size of router bits and the speed settings on the router. Can you help me with this? Great show again, guys. Take care. <laughs> Had to hit that button, didn't he? Um, 
You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't remember the specific question, and I wasn't able to go back through and figure out which one he was talking about. I do remember okay. us having a question where we talked about it, and then we had subsequent answers that I believe we did address on the show. Uh, right. You know, where the question was, what does, what benefits are there, or when should you use? these other bits the th- you know like for instance a flush trim bit that's you know maybe a half inch in diameter and then one that's a full inch in diameter and i think you and i we sort of dropped the ball on it and stumbled on what would be the the best reason to use it and i i, I believe if i'm not mistaken that people corrected us on it and and let yes, us know <laughs> yeah i mean they let us know exactly why that doesn't sound like what he's talking about though he's talking about the speed issue right. and and how it relates to router bits and that's that's pretty straightforward that's just um you know, the wider the diameter of the bit and you start to get into things like panel raising bits, uh, the more you need to slow that bit down. And it, it's not necessarily a product of, you know, the effect that you want to have on the workpiece. It's the safety of making sure that no metal shrapnel is created by spinning a bit uh, too fast, faster than the manufacturer recommends. Uh, so, you know, the bottom line is the there are charts out there that are just generalized charts. Ideally, the manufacturer will provide you with an RPM uh, range in which you should run that bit. If they don't, then fall back on these charts that explain, uh, you know, this particular diameter should be run at this many RPMs and, and use right. that as a guideline. And that's that's the primary reason. Now, as a result, slowing down may have a different effect on the workpiece. But in most cases, I, I tend to go as fast as I can. Um, you get more cuts per inch or cuts per second, if you will. Uh, as you right. run the workpiece over, which tends to lead to a little, you know, bit of a smoother cut that way. So, right, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that, that you were right. The one, the one question that this kind of came from was that it was a flush trimmer. Why, why would you have a larger diameter flush trimmer? Right, you know, do you need all these different diameters and stuff? And yeah, we, uh, the listeners definitely came through for us on that one. That's where that feedback people yeah, definitely and keep the, it. Coming. And if <laughs> and if no one caught it, or if, if anyone missed what those replies were, because the thing is, it's it's critical if we do get corrected, and a lot of times it's going to happen in the comment thread with these posts. So make sure uh, you check there because that's where you're going to get a lot of good information from people. Um, but you know, bottom line was it was stability for the most part. The larger diameter bits are going to be more rock solid. Uh, less chance of it actually swaying or moving uh, when when it's spinning and, and having pressure applied to it. Um, right. and, and I've experienced that myself. I just used a, a it wasn't exactly maybe it was about an inch in diameter, but very uh, stubby little uh, flush trim bit. And man, that thing was stable. Like you could you, <laughs> you can kind of tell the difference between the the three inch long one that I use that's only a half inch in diameter just doesn't feel as secure. The cut is not as fine. It's a little bit more chatter than you might get in one that's that's thicker. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Check out the check those plans and everything. Make sure that yeah you get the information. So that's the one thing is I have a variable speed router and I swear to God that they forgot to put the variable on the motor. <laughs> it's just really? no matter what I switch. Yeah. When I I'll, I'll, it has like four settings on it and I haven't heard a difference as I move <laughs> it from one to the other. It's like you know what? Minute, did, yeah. I think I your it? your speed controller <laughs> is probably shot. That's that that's pretty funny. This probably explains why I got such a great deal on the damn thing. <laughs> it was discounted, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed when I told when I, I contacted the manufacturer, I gave them the model number, and um, I got the most vague answer ever. Oh, and it geez. pretty much, to some degree, actually had something to do with you bought, you got what you paid for. <laughs> nice. That's always helpful, right? Jeez. Exactly. So. Well, on that wonderful, sad note, we uh, I think should probably wrap things up here. 
Yep, absolutely. So if you have any uh, any feedback for us, you heard something today, you want to remind us what we were talking about way earlier or something, you know what, drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can pick up your phone and leave us a voicemail message because we definitely dig the voicemails and that is at 623-242-2450. So keep that information coming in and uh, we'll definitely do our best to uh, get it back out there for the others. Absolutely. And uh, thanks everybody for listening and we'll, we'll see you in about a week. That's right. Take care, everybody. Hey, Mark and Matt. This is Bruce from Massachusetts. Uh, I just got done listening to your uh, episode 29 of Wood Talk Online and you had one discussion about blade guards and splitters. I'm the happy owner of a new Powermatic PM2000, which, as you guys are sure aware of, comes with a riving knife and a good splitter, a uh, good blade guard, rather. And the riving knife is not in place of a splitter. Um, I also purchased uh, from Microjig a tool called the Gripper, which you probably are also familiar with. Uh, Microjig offers this. Uh, in different configurations, and I wound up buying two of them. It's a great tool for ripping short or narrow pieces of stock on the PM2000 used in conjunction with the low-profile white riving knife from Powermatic. Uh, The stock blade guard has to be removed to use the gripper system, but it provides a, a really safe system, in my opinion, for ripping narrow pieces of stock. Uh, Maybe you'll have some further discussion in one of your upcoming episodes. Uh, uh, Mark did mention the Powermatic saw. I didn't get too far into it other than it has a riving knife. Thanks again. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.